What's going on, everybody? This is Coach Ace here. Um, joined again today with Kip Steingart for another episode of the Complete Baseball Performance Podcast. Today, what we're going to do is take a follow-up of everything we talked about in our last episode. So a quick recap for those of you who might not had a chance to tune in. We were talking about different factors that uh, either enhance or hinder performance, uh, things such as... Uh, taking a full assessment of the body, your sleep patterns, what you're eating, your workout regimen, what type of training we're doing, things like that. But what we wanted to do is really dig deep in today, uh, today's episode on the assessment process and try to give you guys an understanding of both the strength and conditioning side of it and then the baseball, baseball and softball side of it. So with that, we'll do a quick introduction. Kip, how you doing? Great, Jay. How you doing today? We're doing good. It's a beautiful day outside. Can't complain. Um, so when we are, when we talked last time, we were talking about the, the first thing we wanted to look at with an individual was the assessment process. Basically, giving getting a feel for where the athlete currently is in their baseball, softball world, where they are in their their training world. So. When we're looking at an assessment, can you kind of break down what your process is, uh, a couple of the things that you look at when we're starting an assessment with an individual? Yeah, so like you had mentioned, um, one of the biggest things for me is like I want to get a better perspective of where the athlete is currently <clears throat> in their physical development so I can gain a better understanding of um, not where he is currently but where we need to go. So a lot of that is going to drive the, the assessment process. So everything is going to start with a basic Q&A. Um, basically, that's going to consist of, I want to gain a better understanding of like, do you have a surgical history? Do you have an injury history? And the majority of guys that come through this, come through to see me are going to have some kind of a past injury history or some guys are going to be going through the current uh, physical therapy process, right? So the first thing I would like to be able to do with that is establish some kind of a relationship and connection with their physical therapist if they're going through physical therapy um, and then looking at their past injury history that's important to gain a better understanding of because past injury history is the number one predictor of future injury history injury um <clears throat> future potential injury i should say um from there i want to know if they've had any prior training experience in the weight room um, whether it's they've worked with a coach in the past or whether it's 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 a program that they have um implemented on their own and kind of what that looks like and how that breaks down kind of what they've had success with what they haven't had success with, things that they like, things that they didn't like, things of that nature. Um, and then from there, we're going to go into the big picture kind of thing. So looking at that 30,000-foot view, what is the, what are their long-term goals, right? What, what, what do they want to be, um, say, if you're, you know, if you're a freshman in high school, where do you want to go after high school if, you're, if you're, your long-term goal is to play at the collegiate level? And then basically from there, we're going to reverse engineer the process, kind of break everything everything down into more, say, smaller, more man, manageable manageable goals, such as like, <clears throat> you know, um, uh, a foundational program that we talked about in the in the uh, in the podcast from last week. Um, okay, so yeah. let me jump in real yeah. quick and yeah. ask. Um, you know, a lot of times we we all have different ways of going about this process. So when you're asking your questions to these individuals, do you give them a sheet of paper beforehand? Are you t 
taking them? Like, are you sitting down with them in like an office and going over these things? Because I think how I do it in the training format is, is probably going to be a little bit different. But I want to kind of get your your view on like how you take someone through this questionnaire process. Yeah, so that's always going to be the first step in the assemb- in the assessment process is we'll come to the office and I want to sit them down one on one, and and basically like right the most important thing you can do from there is just kind of uh, right. You're, you're developing rapport. You want to develop a strong relationship with them to establish that buy-in where where there's trust between, you know, the athlete as well as, as the coach. So uh, a lot of it comes down to just, for me, sitting back and, and listening to what they have to say and just kind of like I like to I like to pry and continually ask why. I want to gain better insight into what their mentality is, what drives them, what motivates them, what are their limiting factors. Um because that's going to be a, again a big part of the uh, of the training process um, as as far as keeping them in the right mentality to achieve the goals that they want is kind of reinforcing what that drive is and how what we're going to be doing in the training environment is going to relate to what their goals are so we can continually push them forward. I think a big thing to to look at from you know the parent and player perspective is you know, these questions. And these things we ask you guys throughout the process, they're, they're not there to, we, you know, keep using the word pry. We're not trying to, you know, learn everything about you just to make you uncomfortable. It's we, we want to really help you get to that, that spot you want to be at and kind of having a good foundation of where we are and where we want to go helps us, like I said, cut some, cut some unnecessary corners that we, you know, we might not need to go down some, some different routes that we might not have to go down. Because if somebody comes into me saying, Hey, I just want to work on my hitting, then I'm not going to pry and ask the questions about their throwing patterns, all that, you know, the throwing related side of it. But, you know, it's getting a, a foundational overview of where an individual is. And like I said, how would we go about it? Like, for example, when I first work with somebody, I don't try to personally sit down with a sheet of paper and, um, you know, try to gauge X, Y, and Z from an individual, but I do that same process. I just don't have a piece of paper with me. So the very first thing I'll, I'll ask somebody is if they're a new client or new, you know, new hitter, why are you here? Right. And here's the important part from the parent standpoint is at this point, parents, it's the best time to shut up. Let the hitter tell me, or the you know the baseball player, the softball player, tell me why they think they're here. Right? Every every parent has an answer, but at the end of the day, I want to get into the hitter's head because you know a parent could very well know exactly why their hitter is struggling, why you know, or some things they want to see. But at the end of the day, it's it's the player's career, it's its their mind that we have to work with, not not yours. So, you know, the first thing I will ask in a questionnaire, it's as simple as, why are you here? And then based upon that answer, I have a bunch of follow-up questions. So mine's not, my assessment process in terms of the questionnaire does not, it's not this serious list of, you know, 20 questions. It starts with the, why are you here? And then from there, it's just listening, as Kip said, and, and following up with, okay, so you're here because you hit the ball hard on the ground, you want to hit the ball in the air more. Well, tell me about why you think you're hitting the ball on the ground. Why do you think you're striking out? And 
sometimes getting into their head, you can kind of learn at that point, you know, what type of learner are they, right? Are they someone who needs to see stuff visually? Do they need to hear you? Do they need to actually feel what you're talking about? Sometimes just a simple question like that can help you dive into not just, okay, you know, is this person, do they seem sensitive? Do they seem like they can take some criticism right away and build off of it? You try to learn that stuff in a very short time because realistically, in a baseball hitting or pitching lesson, it's usually in a 30-minute session, right? So in a 30-minute session, I need to find out why you're here, watch you, do all that stuff, analyze you, and try to teach you something so you walk away feeling like you made a step in the right direction that day. So like I said, it all starts with a simple question, but that's kind of how I base my questionnaire. Now, obviously, there's way more detail. Obviously, I will ask somebody, like, as I'm learning them, have you had injuries, right? If someone's going through a throwing program, you know, have you had any previous injuries? But a lot of time, that's that that marriage between the trainers and the baseball skill coaches because they're going to try to, they're probably going to tell a lot of that information to the strength coach, and then we talk amongst ourselves. So... So it's slightly different, but definitely, you know, it's all about learning where the athletes are at that time and what they're really trying to, to do. Because once we give them those small wins and teach them that we can help them with those things that they're looking for, then you can kind of start putting in their mind, like, hey, like you don't need to just work on this. You can get even better at this as well. And it really helps build the process in, in a quicker, quicker fashion, I believe. So, after, Kip, after you take them through that questionnaire, now that we've kind of talked about my what I talk about versus what you talk about uh, when it comes to asking questions, things like that. What, what is the next thing you're looking at once you've kind of got the answers of, you know, have you had surgery? Have you been to a trainer in the past? What is like the next step of your process? Uh, So from there, what I like to look at is going to be a static postural assessment. Um, So when I have guys come into my office, so like what I'll have them do is actually I have to have them take their shirt off. And I'll, I'll look at their posture, their static posture from a front view, a side view, as well as looking at the back view. And basically what I'm looking at is what is the position of the resting position of their shoulders? Um, what is the resting position of like, what does their ribcage positioning look like? What does their pelvic positioning look like? And then um, more specifically, and we'll get into more details with this, looking at a baseball player is looking at the position of the scapula on the ribcage. And we spoke about this last week, and uh, I like to look at the, the positioning of the scapula on the ribcage because it, it, it allows me to gain, again, a better understanding of what their starting position looks like. And then once we go into, say, like an overhead reaching pattern, um, can they achieve that full overhead range of motion? Um, whereas, say, we're looking at about 60 to 65 degrees of scapular motion on the ribcage as the arms reach overhead. So I want to see how efficiently they can get into those positions with or without compensation. And 100% of the percent of the time, you're going to see some form of compensation, right? They are not able to reach their arms overhead without, say, their lower back overextending or the ribs flaring out. Um, or, or their, their, their neck protruding forward. Um, so it's mainly a matter of observing those, those compensation patterns. So we're identifying those risk factors that are associated with those faulty movement patterns. Um, and then 
from there, I, I want to be able to address those things immediately. Kind of like you, you spoke to, you want to be able to show these guys success. So, you know, say, for example, I have, I've had quite a few guys that have come to me with shoulder pain or, or elbow pain. So once I'm able to identify those, those movement limitations, then I know where to go from there as far as being able to address those movement limitations, giving them the proper exercises, teaching them how to do it properly. Um, and then from there, we can kind of reassess um, to see if we made any improvements in range of motion. And more often than not, we do. And we see uh, um, not only an improvement in range of motion, but we, we minimize or completely take away the pain or symptoms they were experiencing. Um, and if not, if I'm not capable of, of doing that myself, then fortunately I have a good referral network where I can either refer out to a, a manual therapist like, like Dr. Miller, or I can refer them out to my physical therapist, David Fu in Libertyville, who's great when it comes to performing, performing more of a, a thorough evaluation on their, on their body. So when, we, when we're looking at these, these compensation patterns, how do we, what do these compensation patterns lead to in terms of player performance? So we, we know that we, we've talked to some people way smarter than us that talk about how, how fantastic the body is, where we know what the goal is. Our brain will tell us, hey, I need to, like you said, if I'm trying to work on like layback or an overhead reach, right. our brain knows we have to reach overhead. Mm-hmm. If we can't do it, our body and our we start to compensate to achieve that task. Now, right. that doesn't mean we can't achieve the task, but if we're not doing it properly, what does that lead in terms of in terms in the baseball performance side of it or speed side of it? What what do right. these compens- compensation patterns ultimately lead to? Right. So, like you had mentioned, like athletes are great at compensating, right? They they will do whatever is necessary to perform the task to get from point A to point B, all right? We have to be able to address and identify and address what those those compensation patterns are and, and address them. So, again, we're, we're looking at a baseball player. We're going to look at throwing specifically, right? So every joint is connected, right, from the ground up. So looking at the shoulder blades and how they rest on the rib cage, um, right, the shoulder blade positioning is going to dictate how the shoulder functions in turn, in turn how the elbow functions, how how your your arm functions overall, and eventually at ball release. Because the shoulder blade delivers the shoulder, the shoulder delivers the elbow, the elbow will deliver the hand at ball release or whatever implement it may be if you're if you're hitting or whatever it may be. Um, so just looking at how all those joints interact with one another and how we can go about improving the positioning of the joints to enhance that sequencing between rhythm and timing and coordination and right eventually performance being force production or acceleration force absorption or deceleration you know one of the biggest things we we talk about when we talk to some of the people we know in our network that have you know a bigger emphasis on the science based you know they're they're well way smarter when it comes to the sciences than we are, you talk about how body moves over over time, right? How how we move in space. And, you know, to give a correlation to like what Kip was talking about, because a lot of people, they can't put the two together, why the strength side and why the baseball side, you know, work together. When we do one of our first assessments, um, 
you know, now we're getting more familiar with, we have a program called Track that lets us write programs and shoot videos to players, but it also lets us do a biomechanical breakdown of their throwing through a system called Pitch AI. And it's funny, you know, talking about some of the stuff they look at, like external rotation and, um, you know, where the ball, like how the ball is released. When you look at these biomechanical breakdowns, it'll show you, here's your body at foot plant, here's your elbow at maximum external rotation, here is uh, your hand and your body position at ball release. So, you know, there is there is a big correlation between why we test some of these things, you know, when, when someone like Kip would look at you, why we test these things and how it correlates to throwing or hitting because like we kind of mentioned and dove into in the last podcast, we talked about how there are certain patterns that need to be present in all throwers and hitters and athletes in general. And when a hitter struggles with that, you know, what we have to do as a sports coach, as a, as a me specifically as a baseball, softball specific coach, I have to figure out, do they just stink at making this movement? So like a hinge pattern, do they stink at making this movement or is have they not been taught how to hinge? Or is there something that's limiting them from hinging properly? And that's why, me, there's only so much as a baseball, softball skill coach that I can do from my professional experience, whereas sending them over to Kip or you know a therapist or a doctor who might have a way better feeling of, okay, you know he is stuck in this position here that 100% affects performance because if we're stuck, we, we can't perform at our best feet. So, you know, just trying to tie the two together for people to understand is, you know, every movement we make in both the weight room and on the field, they're essentially the same movements. It's just sometimes shaped in different packages, right? You know, a squat pattern or hinge pattern as opposed to landing in the batter's box, we're supposed to be have have a little more hinge in us. Sitting in a feeling position, we're in a little bit more of a squat pattern there, right? Actually, feeling it's got a little of the combination of both, right? Butt back, so we're in squat and in hinge pattern. So all of them correlate to one another. It's just a matter of kind of putting two and two together there. So, you know, I just want people to understand that. So kind of back at it, Kip. After you've looked at some of the, the static and the postural stuff, what is what is the next? thing you're looking at from the performance and strength side of it uh so from there we're going to take them back out onto the training floor and we're going to take a look at their their gross movement patterns so um basically their athletic movement uh, i want to gain a better idea of of what their squat pattern looks like right what does their hinge pattern look like as you had alluded to what is their uh, split squat pattern lunge pattern how can they perform a push-up a pull-up uh, a row so Basic things of that nature, um, just gathering information in terms of how they naturally move is going to give me insight to basically what is the best starting point or the best exercise that I could choose for them so I can give them as minimal coaching and cueing as possible and show them success early on in the training process. Um, and then from there, you know, we'll get into performance, or sorry, after Sorry, prior, prior to performance testing, um, I kind of want to work on addressing maybe anywhere from like three to five of those moving patterns. So again, we can jumpstart that training process, show them success, some success as far as um, how we can clean up some of their movement patterns. 
um, and essentially right teaching them how to get stronger um, and again giving them that sense of accomplishment before they leave that day before we get into the performance side of things I think that's important for you know parents to understand is you know as, as a coach and you know, players for you to understand this as well for from a coaching standpoint, we want to get as thorough of an evaluation as we can on you. We also don't want to bore you to death where you know you don't want to come back. You have you have to have small wins. So even in your long-term goal development, we have to kind of reverse engineer our long-term goals into short-term goals, into you know daily goals and daily wins. Because you know if you constantly are sitting there getting assessed and analyzed, and people are constantly telling you that you need to improve X, Y, and Z. You know, there's a mental toll that takes where people start to, you know, players start to get almost defensive and go, well, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to work with this person or because of this, right? So we, we have to show them small wins. So, you know, sometimes when we're spending an extra five, 10 minutes on an initial assessment, making sure that, at least in the baseball world, we understand stuff and, you know, maybe here's one or two drills that you can take with you and build upon, you know, that's just to help them help us get a thorough look, but help give them those, hopefully the, the, the small wins. Because when we dive into the baseball side of it in a minute here, we'll talk about, you know, some of the basic ways we assess an athlete and some of the more technologically advanced ways we assess our athletes. And, you know, we we have to, you know, some of those assessments, they, they take time, right? So it's, it's kind of, um, it, it's a, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword in the coaching world because you have to, you have to be able to show them that, you know, they can get better working with you. But you also want to make sure that you you have as much detail as possible to create the best path for them to go down. Um, and then, Kip, you had mentioned briefly you went into the performance testing side of it, which is this is where you start seeing a, a lot more of a, a huge tie, a big connection, because a lot of these performance tests you talk about are also tests that are measured at baseball-specific showcases, <clears throat> correct? Uh, correct. I mean, so I'm sure you know that the 60-yard dash is, is still a pretty big thing at, at baseball showcases, with baseball showcases, which is... Uh, Still kind of mind-boggling to me because it's, you know, pretty simply put, you're never going to run 60 yards in a straight line in a baseball game. So what I like to do personally is um, I like to look at their splits with regards to acceleration and, and linear speed. So I'm going to look at a 10-yard dash, a 20-yard dash, and a 30-yard dash. So that's going to allow me to break those splits down between what is their acceleration and their top end speed look like. Um, from there, we're going to look, we can look at multiple jumping variations so i could look at a broad jump i could look at a box jump i could look at a vertical jump um i can look at single leg jumping variations of that nature so it's like right that's not only giving me um insight in their ability to produce force but also how they decelerate and absorb force um so basically what i'm looking at is is landing mechanics from that perspective um from there, what I also like to look at is a rotational shot put throw for distance as well as a, a lateral hide in or think kind of like a speed skater for distance. So this is where we've done quite a bit of collaboration between the two of us as far as being able to kind of compare and contrast the data between those two tests and then what you would kind of see between 
um, testing bat speed or exit velocity or even launch angles. So you, you take somebody like uh, Brendan Rebeck or Matt Flaherty, for example, um, they've both been able to showcase the um, the the best testing performance when it comes to like a rotational shot put throw, right? And then from your end, they've been able to showcase probably the best the best bat speed as well as the best exit exit velocity, right? Yeah, those so. are two of our two of our three hardest hitters in the programs that we've had throughout the last ten years. Right. Um, and then the final test that I like to get into is a, is a pro agility five ten five. So. That's given me a lot of insight in terms of how well do they accelerate, decelerate, plant, cut, and change direction. So that basically summarizes my performance testing. So yeah, what just to kind of inform people, I know a lot of the baseball players know this, but for the guys who don't and for the uh, parents who have no clue, when, you, when we have these showcase type camps or when you're doing some of these performance testing, in the baseball world there are, are you hear the five tool players, right? And, you know, there's some things they've talked about, or maybe there's like a, a six tool, which is, you know, you're intelligent. But basically, it, it's very similar to the NFL combine. There are certain metrics that, as uh, <clears throat> scouts or coaches, you can look at because uh, metrics, uh, I'm going to say metrics are harder to to cheat, although we can get into it. There are ways to score better on certain tests, um, but metrics are, are relatively true, right? So if a kid hits a ball 100 miles an hour, he hits a ball 100 miles an hour. It, that's a data point some coaches have, like their minimum they like to see. Uh, In-game performance and how a person competes, there's so much more that goes into that. You know, what type of player they have, their baseball IQ, all that stuff that we'll, we'll cover, but in terms of the five tools, you will see, okay, how how powerful is a hitter? Like, how hard can he hit it? Uh, consistency of a hitter, right? So how how well he puts the ball in play, contact. Those, the, the consistency, the contact, I mean, it's, they're getting more analytical now. They used to base that off batting average, but then you look at it and go, okay, well, this kid could have, you know, hit 18 balls hard in a row, and he just, the ball got caught. So they're getting into some some more detailed analytics, but it's basically like how consistently we're hitting the ball. So there's something called hard hit average. Like how consistently are we hitting a ball at a certain percentage of our max velocity, our max exit velocity. Then there's speed, which that's where we get into our 30 and our 60 yard dashes. Um, you know, the, the scouts and coaches will look at, okay, did this, how many stolen bases, but stolen bases, once again, there's there's a factor to that number. Were there people out in front of them? Did their coach not let them run? Because some people don't believe in the stealing process. So those are the three. Then there's the de defensive ability, you know, how well they play defense, and the throwing, how how strong is their arm. So a lot of those things are measurable. Defense, maybe not as much. That That is kind of to the to the eye of, of the beholder there. The, the coach, the scout might have, they might say, okay, he looks... Like he's got good feet, his hands are good, uh, he gets good reads on the ball. That's not as easy to measure. So when you're going to these showcases, when you're doing these like combine style training, they're looking at measurables that they can send out, measurables that they can give out to go back to, you know, the head coach at let's say you're a college assistant. If I go back to the head coach and go, okay, this kid hits the ball 100 miles an hour and throws the ball 94 miles an hour, that 
that at least has some more validity than me just going, no, the kid looks the part, you know, he, he swung really well. Sometimes, you know, there's that hesitation that, okay, you know, does he hit well in this person's eye, but not the other person's eye? It Numbers, numbers are harder to, uh, it, it's easier for numbers to tell the story. And like I said before though, you know, numbers can be cheated a little bit. There's ways to hit the balls. There's ways to set radar guns that, make it seem like people hit the ball harder uh, you know I, there's always the argument that you'll get a kid who will throw the ball off one radar garden and then he'll go to a showcase and he's throwing it six miles an hour harder and you try to figure out man was he really amped up did he have a best day or are there other factors that go into that but like that's that's a that's for a different time a mm -hmm. different story but when we're looking at these performance numbers, like I said, they don't tell the whole picture, but at least they give a a locked-in number that a coach or a scout can look at and say, yeah, like this kid runs fast, he hits hard, he throws hard. Those numbers, albeit not the whole picture, are still pretty important in the baseball world. Is that something when you're looking at an athlete, like obviously you with having a background playing college baseball – you know, you know the importance of trying to obtain certain mile markers, you know, 90 mile an hour throw, over 90 hitting. Is that something that you have to talk to players about um, when it comes to, like, why we're doing a rotational med, med ball shot put there? Yeah, yeah, exactly, because baseball is a rotationally dominant sport, right? So it's like if you if you kind of look into the research that the way we have – we know there's going to be a stronger relation between a lateral hiding or a rotational shot put throw and how that relates to what you do as far as like the baseball specific skills test, right? With again, exit bat speed or, or, or bat speed and exit velocity. So um, we, we know that you know, regardless of what your training age or experience looks like, we're still going to have to get guys stronger and more powerful, right? It's just where are they um, on that continuum in their development and where are we going to go from there as far as do we need to get them stronger at this certain point of the offseason or or for somebody like a Brennan Rebeck or a Matt Flaherty who has such a strong foundation of being as strong as they are right what other physical qualities do I need to address with them whether it's speed or power rate of force development explosiveness that's going to essentially help fill that 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 glass fully or fill that glass up where they can fully develop their athletic capacity. We've talked about it before too. There are, there are individuals that are what you consider loaded guns, right? There's the guys who, you know, some of the, a lot of these younger players were, were helping them build their velocity up. Now we, we, we want to do it in the safest manner possible where it's over the course of time, but you do run into the athletes that are throwing 96 miles an hour you like you kind of talked, but we we train those players slightly differently, right? Because we've talked about certain guys like the Eric Cressys of the world who talk about protecting your loaded guns. Mm. Guys who throw a hundred, they're not necessarily working on velocity enhancement. They're trying to keep them safer as long as possible. Correct? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, with those guys, it's just right. The name of the game. Is, the name of the game is sustainability, as it is with everybody else, right? Rule, rule number one in the weight room is. Do not cause anybody harm, right? It always has to come back to sustainability as we're going through the process of, of building resiliency and athleticism. Okay, so 
to kind of jump away for a couple minutes uh, from the, the, the strength side of it, we'll kind of fill in the stuff we look at from uh, the baseball side of it when we go over uh, initial assessment, because I want you guys to understand you know, what we look for, and then also, you know, some ways to kind of look at some of this stuff yourself, because we know there's a lot of players now who, they are getting a lot more detailed into, like, the self-assessment stuff. I know there's stories, if you look at professional athletes, of guys like Trevor Bauer who are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, to have his own, pretty much his own biomechanic lab where he's got people who, three, four guys who analyzes biomechanics and I mean that's extreme but obviously for that guy it's worked I mean he's a Cy Young winner but you know people are getting a lot more detailed into their own assessment process too and the self-assessment so what we want to do is kind of talk about what we do here on an initial basement or basis and then talk about some things we've done in the past sometimes we refer people to other locations to get certain things done and then you know some some tips and tricks to help kind of what you should be looking for with your own um, self-assessment. So when it, when a kid gets to me for the first time, you know, we talked about, I asked the questions, why, why are you here, right? The basic questionnaire. And then what we like to do is just a, a quick little check on both them hitting off a tee and more importantly, with the ball moving, whether it be front toss, whether it be batting practice off a pitching machine. I want to know where a kid is from the mechanical standpoint and timing. And the reason I spend more time with the the timing aspect of it is because if your timing's off, if you're too late, too early, it can alter all the mechanical aspects of it. So we look off a T from mechanical to see if there's any huge, like not- noticeable flaws. Right? Does the kid, you know, is he jumpy? Does he lose heel connection early? The, some things that we can see, are they pushy with their bats? And obviously when we're looking at this, we're looking at it from both the naked eye and then we also have you know video on them. So from a player standpoint, if you, there's, there's apps out there that you guys can be taping yourself. There's coach's eye, there's a huddle technique, there's um, I think one of them that used to be in existence, which I think is no longer there, it's called RVP, right, View Pro. But just having some form of, even nowadays, I mean, realistically, you can just tape on your iPhone and use the slow motion feature and kind of see where I'm at. And we can kind of go deeper into, when we get into like the hitting specific podcast, like what you should be looking for. But to be able to slow the game down yourself and see kind of what we see. Obviously, if a coach tells you he doesn't need a slow motion app or slow motion video, he, he's usually full of crap because... Yes, we can see obvious things, but there's certain things that you can see when the video's in slow motion, right? You can see things where, you know, it, it doesn't even need to be super slow motion. It could just be like, you know, re- reviewing it off uh, a camera or seeing it on a, on a big screen TV. So we have a we have a video delay app that we use called BAM Video Delay, which is a good app for any player or parent to check out where if you're taking batting practice, you can set like a five second delay where you can take a swing and then look at that swing afterwards. So there are definitely ways for an individual to self assess themselves via hitting apps or video delay apps or just their video. But then after we go into that process of the timing, usually that's where we see some issues. What I like to do is give them a specific drill that you know might help them, whether it's 
timing, a lot of times timing is an issue that a lot of players struggle with. So we'll do maybe a timing drill or two, trying to get them to focus on certain movement patterns at the at specific times. Um, so once we've established that, then we might pull out some of our more analytical tools. We'll, you know, put players on a, a radar gun, right, just to see exit velocity, where they stand, or if it's a pitcher, get their throwing velocity down. Um, we've used things like blast motion, which gets a little bit more detailed into you know, the launch angles, which for people who don't know what that means, is pretty much every ball that is put in play has an angle that it comes off the bat. There's positive and negatives. Negative means the ball went down. Zero means it stayed directly on plane with the pitch. And then positive means it went up off the bat. That, it's as simple as that. Even, even bunts have launch angles. When you hear all these people talk about the new era launch angle swing, they, they really don't know what they're talking about because every ball that's put in play has a launch angle. And realistically, it's better to have a launch angle than it is to not. Um, but obviously, we want to work in the positives. So we're looking at that. That leads into more like blast motion leads more into things such as uh, attack angle, which is the angle our bat is approaching the ball. And then things like rotational scores, like how we're moving, our hand speed, how fast our hands are moving as we're making contact. So we can get really detailed. We can, we've used things like hit tracks and track man before at various locations. Like I said, one of my buddies has a track man, which will give us ball flight, how, how the ball spins off your bat, how fast the ball's coming in terms of your exit velocity. So, you know, there's a lot of tools out there. And then there are obviously some extremely analytical tools like a K-Vest, which is something we haven't got the experience to use, but we've taken like the course on and force plates, which talk about, you know, horizontal and vertical force in your feet as you're going through a stride. There, there's so much out there in terms of assessing, you know, it, it starts to stem the question of paralysis, you know, paralysis of analysis, which, you know, when we do a lot of these tests, we like to use it for the coach's standpoint. So myself, I like to use some of these tools and these measurements to help create programs as opposed to get my kids to, you know, become tech junkies because what, I'm still a huge believer in, in feel, right? You have to be able to feel what you're doing. And, you know, using some of the hitters we've talked about in the past, when we used to have a hit tracks, hitters would rely on the hit tracks to tell them if it was a good hit or not. And then when we moved to a location that didn't have the hit tracks, like we are here currently, now kids, they have to feel it. They have to hear it, right? That doesn't mean we don't ever assess them with higher end tools. It doesn't mean we don't get the, the velo guns out or you know, put a blast motion, but sometimes it's good to be able to feel it because if you can't feel it, if you can't feel if you're taking a good swing or you can't hear if it came off your bat well, you know, how are you going to do it outside when a lot of places, especially the high school, there there is no analytical tools outside. You get to the big colleges and pro fields, there's track man, there are, there are analysis tools on the field, but you know, usually you don't, you don't get to see that information until well after the game is over anyway. So, you know, there are things that exist for assessments that are incredibly detailed, but I think part of it is just getting players to understand and feel why they're doing certain things and, you know, constantly keeping them in the loop of what you're looking at, but also understanding that you want them to be able to do certain movements and feel certain movements on their own because ultimately at the end of the day, 
a lot of times we're not there. You know, unless you're the head coach of a team of a bunch of kids you're doing lessons for, you're not there when they're playing in the game as a hitting instructor or a pitching coach. You know, so you're not constantly telling them what to do. You want them to be able to feel certain things. And, and that's why, you know, when we do the assessment stuff, you know, we, we want to really communicate with them what we're looking for and, and kind of what we want them to feel while we're going through the process. You know, the detail of sequencing and biomechanic feedback that comes from, like, the, the pitch AI application we use, it's great. Half the time, players don't know what the heck is going on, so we as coaches have to explain it to them. But you also have to determine who are your overthinkers and who are your players that need to like, man, maybe they need to focus on this a little bit more because ultimately we have to get people performing. And one of the best ways to perform is by being in a state of flow. And when you're overanalyzing everything, it's really hard to just play the game and, and stay in that, <clears throat> that flow state where you hear <clears throat> athletes talk about how they get like tunnel vision and they lose the <clears throat> sight of fans and noises and all that stuff. That usually comes with repetition of successfully completing tasks over and over again and not not emphasizing so much the oh well I had this spin rate on that ball I hit right that it, it some people are analytical like that and do very well with it for the most part the kids I have seen it, it tends to hurt them from a personal standpoint but it does help us to help them prepare for maybe a pitcher who's got a high spin rate. It helps us prepare for how we want to program a guy. But ultimately, like I said, when you assess players, the goal is to get them to feel like you can really help them create a path towards um, their long-term goal. So it's good to have these tools in the baseball world, but a lot of times a simple, you know, questionnaire like hey how you feeling man like you feeling good like how was your game like tell me about your game like take it be able to take a look at swings on videos and swings in person and some of these basic metrics and then partner that with oh i was flaring balls to the opposite field and a lot of times it helps us answer the picture as as a hitting coach or pitching coach like what is going on in games when we can't see them so like i said it's a world of it's, it's great to see there's so much technology coming out there now that helps people understand a lot of what's going on with their body. But we have to kind of really pick apart who needs to be seeing that and which players need to stay away from that some of that information. So that's kind of the baseball side in a nutshell. Like I said, for players, what I want you guys to understand is there are tools you can get, like Blast Motion is a great tool to have. Um, you know, something as simple as, you know, using the pocket radar, which is pretty cheap uh, in terms of radar guns. It's a great tool to have. These video analysis programs, I think, really help you guys. But try not to become robots. I mean, that's the key is from the assessment standpoint, we're looking at stuff. But ultimately, as a coach, our job, at least a, a baseball coach, our job should be to take what you do well and build upon the things that need to be done in a swing or in a delivery. And hopefully reserve that athletic ability you have. I, the biggest mistake I see when I have athletes that go off to college or somewhere mm -hmm. else for a while, they come back almost robotic because their coaches are trying to focus so much on, you know, this movement and this movement. And, and a kid just can't be the athlete that they are and they can't be themselves. And then that's when the overthinking
takes place and we start seeing kids get in a lot of trouble. So, you know, we've talked about it before, but players, obviously there are going to be multiple coaches that have different philosophies, different views. And at the end of the day, it's your career. It's you have to go with what's comfortable and what, what you think works for you. Because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, if you do things that you think are right for you and you learn some stuff along the way and you partner with people that you know, are going to help you and are helping you in the way that you want to go, a lot of times you can be content when it's all over, right? Versus saying, oh, I went to this coach and he screwed me up. And then, you know, now you're kind of bitter about your, your playing career and how things could have been. So like I said, take accountability for your own careers. Uh, but that comes to the follow-up, which is don't be afraid to ask questions. Like if a coach makes you do something or takes an assessment, don't be afraid to ask why you're doing that because that will help you get to the bottom of, you know, what you need to hear and what you think you need to get to your highest level. So now that I'm off my soapbox there, Kip, is there anything else you want to talk about um, that you think you need to address when it comes to the assessment and basic performance? Yeah, so you, you kind of had, um, had spoken on this topic, but one of the things that I like to be able to do is, is right, monitor daily readiness, right? So uh, looking at assessments in more detail, like everything is, is an assessment, right? Essentially the, the, the assessment process never ends. Like you're, you're constantly assessing, especially when you're training guys in the weight room, you're constantly monitoring their movement, um, whether it's a squat or a deadlift to ensure that, you know, they're, they're achieving the right positions. They're, they're learning how to, for me, a big thing is learning how to be self-sufficient and taking ownership of the program, right? So, um, but going back to the, the daily readiness, right? Like gaining kind of like that subjective feedback from them as far as like, what are their energy levels like? What is their fatigue state? Um, being able to monitor body language and things of that nature, like right when they walk in the door is a pretty big thing for me because I like to gain, again, better perspective of, of, of what is that training process, what is the training um, <clears throat> training process going to look like for that specific day if I need to make modifications or adjustments accordingly, again, based off how they're feeling for that day. So um, especially this time of year, given the fact that a lot of guys are multi-sport athletes and they're, they're you know, they're, they're either in basketball season right now or they're just beginning to start football practice and then they have baseball practice throughout the course of the week and then on weekends. Um, that becomes a, a huge, huge piece of the training process for me as far as being able to make daily adjustments. So sometimes what I what I need to do with guys, right, is if they have a, you know, say for example, guys have weight training in the morning, they have, you know, base, basketball or football practice after school. Um, and then they come in and train with me at night. Well, the last thing I want to do with them is go into the weight room and continually add stress upon stress, right? That's not going to do them any good as far as being able to minimize stress and being able to minimize um, unnecessary wear and tear on their body um, as well as their mind, right? So sometimes the best thing I could do for them is just take them through a quick 20, 30 minute mobility circuit, um, maybe do some soft tissue work with them, refer them over to Dr. Miller and uh, ensure that they're they're feeling better and they're moving better before they leave that night. And then, you know, go home, get in some additional calories and and get some good sleep for that night. So um, again, it comes down to, you know, what is the best thing that I could do for this, for this athlete on this given day? Um, another thing I want to touch base on is 
And so the majority of guys will probably come see me anywhere from, say, two to four days a week. So, you know, what are you doing those, you know, those additional days when you're not training with me? So what a lot of guys like to do is, say, for example, I have somebody that comes and trains with me in a one-on-one -on -one setting three days a week. Well, they, you know, their level of commitment is strong and they want to get an additional training days, an additional, say, two to three days a week. So um, I like to write. You know, I'll, I'll give that, that option to guys where I'll write them that additional, say, three days a week training program for them. I'll have them come in the first week of a training block, and I'll, and I'll teach them how to do everything, and we'll make sure that we're, you know, the, the program is on point with the exercise selection um, as well as with the coaching cues, and then we'll, we'll take um, as many notes as necessary for them to go and execute the program on their own from there. Um, they're, they're, you know, I'm very open as far as, you know, what questions do you have, um, doing video analysis, things of that. So at least I can break down their technique when I'm not training with them directly, giving them better insight as far as, you know, what they need to execute on their own. And like I mentioned before, being their own best advocates and learning how to effectively coach themselves, which is, you know, the goal for us as coaches is, you know, essentially what we'd like to be able to do is you know sit in the bleachers and then right watch them or you know watch them through the glass window essentially and being being able to execute the program that we give them to a T with uh without us being there by their side at all times so that's the long term goal for me right I want these guys to be able to go into college over the next three or four years and and be the best coached athlete in the weight room. To kind of piggyback off that a little bit, we, we talked, you know, Kip talked about the fatigue level. I mean, this this is something, even kids who are just baseball players are not multi-sport athletes. There, there comes a point where you can tell kids aren't sleeping, they're not getting, you know, enough nutrition, whatever it might be. Things we'll, we'll kind of cover more in detail in other podcasts. But that's kind of another reason we take measurements like exit velocity. It's not always about, I mean, obviously we want to continuously, you know, improve upon our numbers but sometimes it's a learning tool as well like if i have a kid who is throwing 80 miles an hour and then <clears throat> comes in after doing everything right and you know a month and a half later is throwing 76 you know usually there's a sign that there's something else there right we know that velocity is not linear we talked about that last time maybe it's a bad day but that helps to say okay is he fatigued did he not eat well maybe there's an injury that helps us be able to refer out. So when we look at like some exit velocity or we in the past we've used a, a short little or small little force plate to try to just determine vertical jump and see can we replicate those numbers when we do our next assessment. I mean, obviously if we're doing things right and a kid is healthy and he's taking care of his body, those numbers should improve. But, you know, if they're not, then that's when a baseball coach and strength coaches, they start you know, I mean, I think what people don't understand is, like, when a kid isn't making improvements, the good coaches take it personal, right? Like, I know if one of my players isn't playing well, like, it it makes me sick to my stomach at times. And, it's, I mean, it's a true case when you have to go watch college players or high school players not have success. It, it makes you almost sick to your stomach because you realize there's probably some other things you can do and there's some things that maybe you could have done slightly differently. But at the end of the day, we have to help give these guys as many tools to keep themselves healthy, keep these guys, keep themselves playing and performing at a high level. So when we talk about 
some of these assessment things that yes, it's a baseline reading, but sometimes those baseline readings tell a bigger picture, a bigger story on the back end when you're doing reassessments and retesting. Because like Kip said, there is a daily assessment, you, you know, just as simple as when we have our programs, we have our programs and there's a questionnaire that we ask guys to fill out, which it's funny, a lot of guys don't. Hey, how many hours did you sleep? You know, how many calories did you eat? Did you have a macro breakdown that you can talk about? How's your body feel? Sometimes just asking someone how you feel, you know, if a kid says he's tired, you know, as a, as a good coach, you want to go into every session with a plan, but a, a, a better coach can take that plan and rip it up when they see a kid is not where they need to be, whether it's physically, whether it's, you know, they didn't make any improvements, so they weren't, you know, they weren't doing anything in between their sessions with you. But I've, I mean, I know personally, I've sent two kids home the last week, not because they did anything wrong, but I could see that physical level of exhaustion on them. And when it gets to that point where you can physically see it with your naked eye, that's when you know there's an issue where they are incredibly tired. Now, funny, one of them we sent home, I told them to literally do nothing the next day, the following day to go through one of Kip's just mobility circuits, just a nice, simple thing, take a walk. Three days later, the kid comes in and hits a PR by five miles an hour. So was he overworking himself to a point, trying to do extra stuff on his own and it became too much? The answer on that's probably yes, because you can see the physical exhaustion. And then by telling him to rest and take a few days to just do light stuff, ends up having you know a five mile an hour PR on his exit velocity. So, so when we're taking these assessments, obviously performance is in mind in terms of metrics and like averages and all the fun statistical stuff. But the other side of the performance, which is being able to physically go out and perform, you know, being healthy, being available for your team is something that we also take account for, even from the baseball side of it, when we are looking at certain numbers, because those numbers help us refer out to guys like Kip or physical therapists, whoever, because we look at it and go, man, something doesn't seem right right now. So that, that's kind of in a nutshell why, you know, these assessment processes are so crucial. When a lot of these kids, like, you take them, they try to just go through the motions, like, oh, we got to do this. Or, you know, I know they always are excited to do their max velocity days and their exit velocity days because they want to see the improvement. But a lot of them don't realize that those numbers usually go up and down with some of the other performance numbers that we have. So if we're not focusing on all of them, usually you're going to see that the key ones, the throwing, the hitting, not be at their peak performance as well. So any last follow-ups, Kip? I think I pretty much covered it all today. All right. So what we'll do is that we're going to constantly keep doing this. We're going to mix in a couple smaller ones just with little topics such as like, you know, the mental side or, you know, how to deal with, you know, coaches who might have different opinions and how as a player you can – you know, respectfully get through it and still perform the way you want to perform. But um, like I said, we're going to try to keep following up on some of those initial topics we talked about on day one. Uh, we'll, you know, have a follow-up on nutrition and and some of the more detailed strength stuff from Kip himself here. And then, you know, we're looking to get a couple guests on who can help a little bit more with the, um, you know, some of the other stuff that they can teach us that you know they're significantly smarter than us in regards to self-tissue work and teach you some things that you can do and we'll, we'll get some documents and videos along with it mm-hmm. kip last thing uh last thing i forgot to mention last week i actually um i did a podcast on my own in the off season of last year 
Um, if you could check that out on YouTube, it's under Top Performance Strength Podcast. Um, I had quite a few former players that I've coached, as well as Ace, uh, that I've mentioned in the previous podcast, as well as this one, Matt Flaherty, Brendan Rebeck, and uh, Declan Peterson. Um, they've been athletes of ours for the last four to five plus years. Um, so they give everybody, they give you guys invaluable insight um, when it comes to the training process. And they're also great mentors for some of the younger guys um, when they come back over the summer or during the off season in the winter time. So I'd highly recommend checking that out. Yeah, check, check it out, guys. Like I said, it'll help you not only, you know, learn some new information on, you know, some of the stuff that, I mean, we'll cover some of it, but obviously hearing stuff from a player's perspective, that I think it helps a lot of the young athletes, you know, okay, here's what we, here's what we hear from the coaches. Of, of course, you know, we're older now, so, you know, mom and dad are never right. The coaches sometimes are never right, but hearing it from somebody who is in the position that they want to be in, a lot of times it really helps them correlate a little bit better. Uh, so with that being said, thanks for taking the time to listen, guys, and we will catch you soon.